0: Love Talk
1: Radio.
0: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, april nineteenth, twenty sixteen, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co hosts Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, there's something new coming to Starseed Hotline very soon, by popular demand, you might say, because so many people have expressed an interest in learning astrology. We're about to release our introductory course called Basic Astrology for Starseeds. So as they say, stay tuned for more details about the release date. Our special guest this evening is Ellen Everett Hopman an author and teacher of herbalism, and her latest book is Secret Medicines from Your Garden. Ellen is a professional member of the American Herbalists Guild and has presented at conferences and festivals throughout Ireland, Scotland, and England, as well as Canada and the U.S. on druidism, herbal lore, tree lore, paganism, and magic. She holds a degree in mental health counseling and is a master herbalist who has appeared on numerous national radio and TV programs, and was featured on A&E's documentary on Druidism. You can visit her website, which is Ellen E L L E N Everett E V E R T Hopman H O P M A N dot com. Ellen Everett Hopman dot com. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream news. And we'd like to thank Fiona for hosting the Switchboard this evening and for any listeners that might have a question or comment for our guest. And if you would like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And we appreciate Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page, just using the cloud with an arrow on it. And we'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking Follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarSeedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your Solar Return Timing. And then if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours happens, because we do have a waiting list. So first tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful
2: Starseed News. Good evening, Arielle. Hello, <laughs> so Anastasia. Hi. Uh, <laughs> good evening, Starseed listeners. It is great to be back beautiful springtime is upon us and that is a joyful thing Mm
1: -hmm. well we
2: have had a uh, warning that came from spaceweather.com on yesterday they were anticipating a large coronal mass ejection that was going to hit earth today but they have canceled that cme they said that it won't hit earth after all it's going to pass us and that cme came from giant sunspot ar-2529 They say it unleashed a powerful M6.7-class solar flare just yesterday. Now, they say that this sunspot is leaving, which is interesting because yesterday they were talking about how it was erupting. So I wonder about that. Yesterday it was a big deal. Today they say it's leaving. They say that (laughs) the sunspot – I know. I don't know. Sometimes – Getting reliable information to pass on is kind of difficult. But anyway, they say that this particular sunspot now is approaching the sun's western limb, and it will soon disappear from view. So I was alarmed, (laughs) not really, but I put it in the news to report that as it happened, and today that changed. So it's all canceled. It's all off. Good deal. Okay, so I told you about something (laughs) you probably didn't even need to know about to start with. (laughs) <laughs> well, astronomers suspect that gamma-ray burst may be linked to gravitational wave from a collision of black holes. Now, last year, our planet experienced a very slight space-time ripple that was detected by the Laser Inferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. Bet you didn't know about that one. Well, this mm-hmm. happened in September of last year. It's called LIGO. Well, once they analyzed the signal, physicists have realized that these gravitational waves were caused by a black hole merger, and that black hole is about 1.3 billion light years away or so. Now, this was the first gravitational wave event, and it was dubbed with a long number. I won't even tell you what it is. But the observation, which was announced just this past February, to global fanfare, according to the news, It confirmed that one of the last predictions of Einstein's 100-year-old theory of general relativity, and it also shows us that black holes uh, of around 30 solar masses, black holes as big as 30 suns together, that they do exist, and they may be more common than current theories anticipate. This detection is also the first tantalizing view of a type of astronomy, they say, that will, in the future, change the way that we see the universe they are actually speculating that maybe the electromagnetic theory is not accurate but that they are moving now to the gravitational wave theory so we'll stay tuned to that and see what they come up with big black hole activity caused a space-time ripple here on earth makes me wonder what we were all doing on september 14th of last year Hmm. if you keep a diary, you might check it. It might have seemed like a little bit of an odd day that day. I don't know. Well, we have discovered a huge galaxy orbiting our own Milky Way. It seemingly appeared out of nowhere. Now, this newly spotted dwarf galaxy, which has been named Crater 2, sits around mm, 400,000 light years away and it's already earned the title of the fourth largest known galaxy that circles our own. So how does a galaxy that's a big, that big, stay hidden for so long? Well, they say that Crater 2 has always been there. It's been quietly circling, circling our own giant galaxy. But its stars are so diffuse that it's an incredibly dark place, and that it's been masked up until now by its brighter neighbors. In fact, it's one of the dimmest galaxies ever detected in the universe. They're calling this a very rare discovery. They say that uh, the Milky Way is orbited by 49 other galaxies that they know of. But this research suggests that perhaps there are dark galaxies, other than the one they've just discovered, inside our own cosmic neighborhood that are hidden because they're hard to see. So, hmm. Now, at a Washington State storage site, Thousands of gallons of radioactive waste are estimated now to have leaked at this, uh, well, it's a Manhattan Project-era nuclear storage tank in Washington state. And they said that it leaked 3,500 gallons of radioactive waste over this past weekend. That's triggered an alarm, of course, and causing some people to call it catastrophic. It sounds catastrophic. This expanded leak was first detected after an alarm went off at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation on Sunday, and on Monday, workers were preparing to pump the waste out of the area, this is according to AP. They were also trying to determine why the leak became worse. It's unclear exactly how much waste actually spilled out, but estimates place the amount, as I said, at about 3,500 gallons, according to the local newspaper. That's very unfortunate. Well, any of you got any overdue library books laying around? If so, you might want to take those books back. (laughs) A couple from Michigan faces not only some pretty stiff fines, but jail time over failing to return two library books, one of which is a classic by Dr. Seuss. And that comes in spite of their attempts, they say, to resolve the matter. It started like this. A woman allowed her son to use her library card to check out the Hatful of Seuss collection last year. Her husband also faces charges after keeping the thriller called The Rome Prophecy for eight months, although he returned it in January after receiving a letter about the missing book. He took it back. Now the couple faces up to 93 days in jail and a $500 fine for the late library books. So. Ah. Better take those back, folks. Oh, my that's, God. That's really crazy. The world is all upside down, I'm telling you what. While you think that's bad, check this one out. I guess the Internet is in an uproar because a Georgia school has forced a mother to watch her five-year-old get spanked by the principal. Uh, there's a video online of this, uh, of the principal paddling this five-year-old boy. Now, the mother claims that she was forced into approving this corporal punishment, or else she would have risked jail time. (laughs) When this mother was told that her son had been misbehaving in school, she was given two options. He could be suspended for a day, or he could receive a paddling. She chose a paddling because she said the school administrator said that there was nothing else, no other way possible that anything that they could do or that could be done for him was going to help him but to get paddled she explained that the situation began when her 5-year-old son tried to hit another child and he missed but then he spit on somebody well so that was when she was given the ultimatum that he needed a paddling she filmed the administrators attempting to get him to assume the paddling position you can hear the boy screaming and crying for his mother who tells her who tells him i'm not listening to you i'm texting A mother said that she came in out of concern. In other words, she allowed the paddling because she claimed that she would end up in jail for truancy if she chose to have the boy suspended. She claims to have been arrested previously after her son missed 18 days of school for a cancer scare. So, I I tell you, there's a lot of really distressing news out there about schools. This is just one of many, but I thought I'd pass that along. We need to know going on. Of course, you know, this is an internet video, and this is her story, and we don't know the whole story, but nevertheless, I'm just saying. Well, any of you get Verizon phone service? Tens of thousands of Verizon workers take to the streets in the second week of a strike. Uh, They've gone over strike again, and they've done it over low wages and job insecurity. This involves some 40,000 Verizon workers across the East Coast who walked off their jobs and took to the streets due to a contract dispute just yesterday. The workers, of course, were chanting and whistling and, you know, doing all that strike stuff. They say the work stoppage started six days ago due to concerns over wage security and Verizon's decision to move jobs out of the United States to the Philippines, to Mexico, and to the Dominican Republic. Unions organized the protest, and Verizon says that employees from other departments across the United States were being sent to the East Coast to replace the striking workers. Well, this is fascinating. We are maybe one step closer to colonization in space, maybe Researchers have succeeded to grow an embryo in space. Chinese scientists are creeping, they say, a tiny bit closer to the future dream of humans colonizing and reproducing in space. They've succeeded, according to the Chinese Academy of Sciences, in developing an early-stage mouse embryo aboard the SJ-10, which is a satellite that was launched into orbit on April 6th from the Satellite Launch Center in northwest China. Wow, they really really developed that embryo fast. That's that's not that long ago, is it? This is only the nineteenth.
1: Mm.
2: Anyway, that's what they say. Well, I bet you all have heard about that uh devastating earthquake in Japan that uh just occurred a few days ago. Uh thirty two people were killed, seventy thousand evacuated because Japan was hit by two powerful earthquakes and devastating landlines landslides. Uh dozens of people were trapped in rubble in uh, southern Japan as the death troll rose. Uh there were 200 aftershocks that hit following the initial uh, Thursday tremor of 6.5. Uh then they had another 7.1. Uh 7.3, excuse me. And so there was a lot of damage uh, to homes, to property and to people. Um but now late uh, the latest news today is that that magnitude 7.3 earthquake that followed the 6.5 quake, incidentally, just 24 hours later, uh, was more powerful than the foresho- shock that struck two days earlier. They have been having a rash of big earthquakes in Japan. Um, they say that uh, they're concerned that the quake activities will spread to a major active fault that lies in that direction. They're worried about a large fault rupture. There are also concerns about volcanic activity in the wake of that quake, those earthquakes. Um, it is uh, in a uh, volcanic area, and uh, they're worried about the eruption. So, and it, By the way, uh, are we paying attention, really, any of us? Uh, there were three volcanoes that erupted simultaneously uh, just three days ago there was uh let's see which ones were they they were chile and uh, the united states mount cleveland mount cleveland and in colima uh mexico so a lot of uh, volcanic activity going on a lot of earthquake activity big ones in the ring of fire so um, really rocking and rolling in in an associated article uh the mount aso volcano erupted after those earthquakes in Japan. After that 6.5 and 7.3, just a couple of days later, a small-scale eruption of Mount Aso has been recorded by the uh, Japan Meteorological Society. They just kept the alert level at 2. It wasn't immediately clear whether uh, the natural disasters of the uh, earthquakes were related to the volcanic eruption, but nevertheless, the volcano blew. And uh, plumes of smoke rose 100 meters into the sky. So, Very interesting, all those quakes and volcanoes going on, Uh, maybe probably are related. Well, they've had immense flooding all over the planet, you guys, this past week. We don't have time to cover all those stories. Uh, Just everywhere, big floods. Santiago, Santiago, Chile has had a a serious uh, flood. In fact, Chile's capital... Uh, Santiago, has been inundated by rains that caused the river to breach its banks and to flow into the city's neighborhoods. Now, it's uh, left four million people short of water. Uh, The intense rains have uh, caused havoc. Uh, Water streaming into cafes, shops, houses, underground parking, and they've cut their power and shut down a copper mine. Uh, Four million people are without any water to drink because of the flood. Well, Uh. the cicadas are coming. A new brood, they say, is going to descend on the northeastern United States. This was in the Washington Post. They say that residents in some parts of Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia uh, are going to experience, um, when the soil gets warm to 64 degrees, they will experience billions of cicadas coming up from the ground so that they can mate. Now, they say that cicadas don't do much plant damage. They eat a little sap, but they don't do any uh, terrible damage. But this particular group of insects, the cicadas, are 17-year cicadas. They have a 17-year life cycle that begins underground. And this current brood, which began in 1999, uh, is erupting next month. They say billions of insects are going to emerge And they can reach a density of about a million and a half insects an acre. So that's going to be very interesting. You know, those bugs make a tremendous amount of noise. It's probably going to be pretty deafening. And if you think Mm. about a million and a half bugs per acre, that's just going to be quite a lot of noise. Any of you that live up in that area and you happen to see this, I'd appreciate an email from you. I'd like to know how you're tolerating that. This is just nature at work, of course. But um, pretty interesting. Well, I had talked to you within the last couple of weeks about the amount of plastic in the oceans that are causing us to ingest plastic. Remember that uh, news piece? Yeah. Audio we talked about. Uh huh. Well, now there's a new study that says that plastic waste entering the ocean is one of the is is one to three orders of magnitude greater than the mass of floating plastic debris that's in high concentration and globally. They call those gyres, I've talked about that before, those huge islands of floating plastic in the ocean that are immense. Well, they're saying that what we're putting into the ocean is up to three times greater than what's already in there. It's constantly being placed into the ocean. They say that plastic production right now is at a 20-fold increase since 1964. And it's it's generating a 300 to 400 tons. Now, this is a new report out by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and it reveals that we are rapidly approaching what they're calling an environmental catastrophe as far as the world's oceans are concerned. They say that this number that we're talking about right now, 300 to 400 tons, is going to double in the next 20 years and quadruple by 2050. So, you know, what are we going to do? It's really time to give up plastic. That's all there is to it. It's really hard to get away from it, but there it is. I think that it would be great if those out, of, those out there of you, those very special people who are engineers and who have particular skills and these kinds of things, uh, what can you do? What can we all do to help we'll with that?
0: Recycle. Recycle, recycle at least.
2: Absolutely. At, at the very yeah. least. Absolutely. But you know, how do you get people to cooperate? There is a problem. You're doing your part, but when you do your part and everybody else isn't, then this is where we are. So, well, then every- everybody
0: has to talk one person into changing.
2: <laughs> exactly right, Ariel. Exactly yeah. right. And and when we think that, well, what I do doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. It is changed one person at a time. Mm-hmm. But it is a really critical problem. I've just about decided. You know, if it has plastic, I don't want it. Which uh, it's pretty difficult to do in this world today. Yeah. A lot of times we can shop at uh, yard sales or antique stores and find old furniture or old this or that. Maybe a metal measuring cup instead of a an old tin cup instead of a plastic yeah. one. Uh, you know, there are ways around it. When we can, we should. I have a, a craftsman here in my area that carves wooden spoons, and he does a wonderful job. He just makes the most beautiful wooden spoons. And uh, so I've taken up quite the nice wooden spoon collection. But, you know, that's one way uh, to kind of get back to nature. There's lots of smaller things that we can do to get away from manufactured materials when possible. Well, that's about it for tonight's news. It's going to be an excellent program. This is going to be really nice. Looking forward to this one.
0: Yeah, me too. And for all the places in the world that are having troubles the star seeds that are listening, please focus and help to uplift the energies in that place um and just send your send your love to those people.
2: Absolutely. That's wonderful. Thank you, Ariel. That's what we're here for, mm. isn't it?
0: That's, That's right. what we're here
2: for. We are needed. Our energy is needed. We really don't have time to rest from that because this is why we're here. So you bet. That's right. Well I'm gonna turn it over okay. to you, Ariel. Thank you. righty.
0: Thanks so much, Anastasia, for bringing us the Starseed news. And um, right now, I'm going to first, um, Lavendar. I'm going to open up your microphone, and um, and then get Ellen. Carry on. There we go. Hello, Ellen. Welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here.
3: Hello. Thank you very much for having me. And that news was fascinating.
0: <laughs> I've oh, never. Anastasia I've... does a. She does a great job. And uh, you know it's, yeah. it's you know there there are things in the world that we need to know about, and so that we can make a contribution. So well, I just that, I just
3: love the whole planetary perspective. You know everything from the galaxies you know, on down,
1: right, just, right.
3: You know looking down on the earth. You know from space, I felt like it was amazing. Right,
0: right. <laughs> Well, um there's a lot of, a lot of uh, growth happening in that area as uh, as the earth goes through changes, we have to find other solutions. So I've got Lavendar on the line and um Lavendar you're kind of on pins and needles cuz you're about to get hit with a really bad storm. So you okay still?
4: Yeah, it's um it's uh, hailing and it's uh, raining and lightning and I'm jumping.
5: <laughs> you oh, know how i am, lightning.
4: <laughs> so Ellen I'm so yeah. excited about your book, Secret Medicines from Your Garden, and I have been reading on it off and on for about a week. And I must tell you, my favorite, favorite chapter is about astrology and herbs. And when I looked at the herbs that matches Sagittarius, I went, yes, I take all of those. So congratulations, girl, on this book. It's wonderful.
3: Well, thank you. Um, yes, back on Earth here. <laughs> um <laughs> Thank you very much, yes. So tell us a little about about yourself, and when you,
4: did you decide to be an herbalist?
3: Well, the, I have a whole chapter uh, in the book about how that happened, because it was really a, a mystical experience that I had. Um, but I'll try to make it short. I Basically, I was an art, art history major. Um, and I was sent to Rome on a scholarship, which I never asked for. They just gave it to me. And they said, you're going to study Renaissance art. And I didn't even want to study <laughs> Renaissance art, but the, they sent me. They paid for everything. Um, this was Temple University in Philadelphia. And um, <clears throat> I, first I was in Rome, and I was studying in libraries and writing my thesis. And then I said, gee, I want to go to CC." and look at the frescoes of Giotto. He's a very famous uh, painter. And so I went to Assisi, took the train, and um, went to the cathedral and saw these frescoes. And the frescoes had a lot of gold leaf on them. And I knew enough about, well, the frescoes were about the life of St. Francis, um, because he's the most famous citizen, I guess, of Assisi. And... I knew enough about St. Francis to know that gold leaf didn't really fit, you know, with him. He was really into simplicity and poverty and so on. So um, I I walked up to this monk. I saw this monk in Franciscan robes, and I walked up to him and I said, "Gee, I'd really like to learn more about the life of St. Francis, um, about how he really lived, you know, not the way it's shown in these paintings." So the the priest looked at me and he said, "Go to San Marcel." And I said, what is San Maceo? And he said, don't ask any questions, just go. And he pointed down the road, so off I went. And it was down at the bottom of the hill. There was a little wooden sign. It said San Maceo. So um, I followed the sign, and there was this little muddy track through the bushes. And it it opened up into this really medieval farm community All the buildings were stone, and there were young people on the grass just sitting there. And they looked at me, and they said, oh, have you come here to live? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) What is this place? And it it ended up that it was a Franciscan community. And uh, there were two sheep folds, one for the women and one for the men, uh, straw mattresses, cold water, no hot water at all. Um, The bread was baked uh, in a stone oven. And animals were allowed to wander wherever they wanted, so you had chickens and ducks wandering in and out of the buildings, including the dining room, the kitchen, everywhere. Um, And uh, two days a week, Wednesday and Sunday, you were supposed to fast and then go wandering in the wilderness, that's how they put it, or wandering in the desert. And that meant just taking off with no thought in your mind, just seeing where your feet would take you, you know, And fasting. So I took off one day, and um, I was fasting. And I kept walking, and I ended up on top of this mountain called Mount Subasio, which is a mountain where St. Francis used to hang out. And it's above the tree line, so there were no trees up there. And I was on top of this mountain, and there was nothing there but grass and one little tiny pine tree. And all of a sudden this huge storm came with thunder, lightning, and snow. And there I was up there all by myself, and then I did something really dumb, which was I wrapped myself around that little tiny tree uh, because it was the only living thing up there other than the grass. And the storm passed very quickly, and I came back down the hill with snow on my shoulders, singing at the top of my lungs. And I got down to the bottom of the hill, and there's this little Romanesque chapel made out of stone that St. Francis built with his own hands, which is across the street from San Damiano, which is where St. Clair used to live. Anyway, so I went in there. I was all by myself. It was very dark in there. I went in. I sat down, and all of a sudden I heard a voice, and the voice said, "Um, everything you've been doing up until now has been for status and intellect and to please your parents. You're supposed to be working with plants. And somehow I knew that it was true. I knew it was absolutely correct, and I just thought, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, here I've been <laughs> studying art history. I was supposed to be an art hitri- history professor. Uh, I was supposed to, you know, write my thesis. You know, this is that was the plan. And so I just mentally threw out everything and um, came back to the States, sold my possessions, went to Findhorn in Scotland, which was the first New Age community on the planet, I believe, Anyway, I uh, did some study there, came back, studied with William Lasassie, my teacher in New York, and then uh, began teaching and writing and I've been doing that ever since. All right, what a story. I love it.
4: So, <laughs> what region of the country are you in and, wh- and what kind of herbs
3: grow in your area? Well, I live in New England. And um I Are you in Texas? I'm in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, okay. Yeah, I'm in New England, and um, what's happening right now is the daffodils are just starting to come up, and the dandelions are, I live on top of a, a mountain, but at the base of the mountain, the dandelions are out up here where I am. They haven't even come out yet. Um, and we had snow just a couple of weeks ago. So it's been a very strange spring, but um, I live in an oak forest. So there's a lot of oak trees, there's white pine, there are birches, um, hemlock. This area was hemlock forest originally. Um, You know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of the usual things that you would expect, dandelions, plantain, yarrow, St. John's wort, you know.
4: You know, the thing that I love about this book is you didn't – you didn't – well, how am I going to say this? Okay. The pictures in here are just awesome. They're they're printed so beautifully. I mean, there are several colors, and, and it must have really cost you a lot to have this kind of production in a book. But it's so beautiful, and people will keep it forever because it's so classic, and you've just done such well, but, a wonderful yeah, those, job those, with
3: um, those are antique uh, flower and herb you know botanical prints and the old prints are actually in many ways often superior to what you see now because if you look at each one and the reason I picked those is because it'll show the whole plant then it'll show in the same illustration you know a close up of the flower close up of the seed a close up of the leaf maybe the root you know they give all these incredible details And that's what I wanted. I wanted something that would show all aspects of the plant.
4: Well, it certainly shows that for sure. And I just love how you go into great detail about everything. I mean, I love what you said about garlic. I thought I knew a lot about garlic until I read what you wrote about garlic. (laughs) Really, it's so intense about um, being on point with what you're saying, you know.
3: So let me ask you, um, you teach classes, right? Yeah, I've been teaching this stuff for 30 years now. So a lot of what you see in that book is what I teach my students. I teach a six-month intensive every year, October to April, here in western Massachusetts. And um, so this book, actually, the way the book happened was I was in California teaching, and Matthew Wood, who's a very well-known herbalist, um, he was on the phone saying hello and he said, what are you going to be teaching? And I said, well, I'm going to be teaching um, the triangle system of William Lassassier, and there's a big chapter in the back on that, on how to make formulas. And he said, um, oh, my God, he said, there's only two or three people in the whole country who know how to do that. And I said, you got to be kidding, because I thought, you know, I've been teaching this forever. I thought my students were out there teaching, but apparently not. And he said, Ellen, you have to write a book before it's too late. <laughs> so. I mean, I have thir- this is my 13th book, I think. But what I finally did was I took the material that I had been giving to my students because I, I thought my students were out there teaching, but I, I guess not. So I said, I guess I better put it in a book, you know. And so that's what you've got there. You've got a lot of what I teach in okay. the
4: book. So give us some names of your other books that you've written and what subjects did they cover?
3: Um, well, there's a bunch of herbals. There's a Druid's Herbal of Sacred Tree Medicine, which is very Irish-based, uh, and it's Irish tree lore, both medicinal properties and spiritual lore about trees. There's another one, Druid's Herbal for the Sacred Earth Year, which is, is also very Irish, but it, it's more about uh, going through the the wheel of the year and the way you can do ceremonies using plants, and it has things like hand fastings and baby blessings and house blessings and may day celebrations and halloween and you know all these festivals and how to use herbs uh, to celebrate those uh there's scottish herbs and fairy lore um and you know I did I've been to Scotland a number of times and this is all based on real scottish tradition it's nothing i made up you know it's all footnoted and everything um There's a children's book called Walking the World in Wonder, a children's herbal, which homeschoolers really like um, because it's 75 different projects that parents and teachers can do with kids. And the parent can be an absolute beginner and the parent can learn along with the child. Um, There's Secret Medicines from Your Kitchen, which is a beautifully illustrated book. That was uh, published in London, actually, and they did a gorgeous job with the illustrations. And then there's Secret Medicines from Your Garden, which is the one we're talking about now. Um, Then I have a trilogy of novels, because at one point I decided that I needed to try fiction. And that was a very interesting process, because it was more like remembering than anything. But it's a trilogy of Iron Age druid novels, and the protagonists are female druids who just happen to be herbalists. Right. So there's a lot of herbal information. If you've ever uh, read Clan of the Cave Bear, have you ever read that book?
4: Yes, many years ago.
3: Okay. Yeah, well, her her herbal information in that book, is absolutely accurate. It's really well done. I mean, that's when I was when I read that book. I was, you know, looking. Hmm. Did she get that right? Did she get that right? She did. She got it right. You know. So the herbal information that I have in my novels. The first one is um, Priestess of the Forest, a Druid Journey. The second one is called The Druid Isle, and the third one is Priestess of the Fire Temple, a Druid's Tale. And um, <clears throat> there's Iron Age herbal information in all those books, the, the actual plants they would have used for healing wounds and coughs and things like that. That's all through the book. So if you want to learn about Druidism, it's a, it's a painless way to learn. And if you want to learn herbalism, it's a painless way to learn because it's all in there.
4: So do you, do you take people to, to England? Do you go on trips and, and show people how to um, pick herbs in the locations?
3: Um, Well, I've done that in the past, and what I did, I wasn't uh, focusing on herbalism on those trips. Uh, When I I go to Ireland or Scotland or England, what I like to do is visit the ancient sites. I'm most interested in things that are 500 A.D. or older. I'm not really interested in anything after 500 A.D. Um, That's because... By 500 A.D., that's when Christianity really began to take over, and I'm much more interested in the indigenous European Earth religion. So I like to hang out, you know, in Bronze Age sites, like Stonehenge is Bronze Age, uh, Newgrange in Ireland is Bronze Age. You know, um, the Bronze Age was when you had all these fantastic megaliths uh, that were built, and... uh, So that's what I like to do. I like to go to those places.
4: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I noticed that you really um, devoted a lot of um, of information to bee medicine. So would you just kind of give us a rundown on how you think about bees and sacred honey?
3: Well, that's a huge subject. But as you know, bees are having a really hard time right now. Um, it's interesting there 's an old Welsh saying, The day the bees stop humming, the world will end. And that was an old Welsh saying, and I think people um, people thought, Oh, that would never happen. you know <laughs> but now I you know every time I think about it, I think, my goodness, uh, Albert Einstein said that if we lost the bees, that humanity would have four years and we'd be finished. We'd be gone completely at that point. So um, we really have to honor the bees. And in the book I talk about ancient Egyptian medicine. Um, Honey and wine were the two basic uh, medicinal substances that the Egyptians used, and then they would add different herbs uh, to make incense you could make uh you could use the same herbal mixture and if it was dry it became incense that you burned if it was wet uh you would drink it as a tea or uh if it was moist you could roll it into pellets you know but honey and wine were very much the base and then they would add frankincense or myrrh and lots of other things so i i have recipes in there um but honey is just a, a miraculous substance and uh You can use it internally and externally to heal wounds or injuries. If you have a a cut or, you know, a wound, clean the wound and then put honey on it and then just cover it with a cloth. Or I actually like to use leaves because if you put leaves on a wound, uh, they don't stick the way a Band-Aid does, you know, soft leaves like uh, marshmallow leaf or mullein, you know, wrap leaves around the wound and then maybe put a cloth around that. But um, anyway, so honey, it, what it does is it creates uh, anaerobic situations, so bacteria can. So it keeps the wound, you know, healed, and it, it's great for healing burns because it has propolis. Um, if a child is is coughing, if somebody has a cough, you can just give them honey. Um, just, I mean, really. More and the more I learn, the more I read about the effects of drugs and medicine that we get in the drugstore. The more I just wish people. I hate to say it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble with the pharmaceutical industry, but that stuff is so dangerous. You know, it's really, it's, it's really hard on on our bodies. Our bodies are not designed for it. They don't know. The body doesn't know what to do with it. You know. And that's why I wrote the book Secret Medicines from Your Kitchen, because you already have things in the kitchen, apples, potatoes, honey, oil. You know, you have things already that you can use, and you don't have to go to the drugstore and buy stuff. And um, 70% of illness can be taken care of at home if you just know what to do, you know. Salt, there's just really basic things Um So, yeah, if a child uh, has a cold, you can take honey and you can blend it with lemon and uh, give it to the child uh, instead of cough medicine. Um, If they're able to to tolerate it, try adding a little bit of garlic, because garlic, and it has to be old-fashioned, stinky garlic. It can't be the fancy new GMO (laughs) de-smell, denatured, scentless garlic that they have forget that. I mean, I've seen actual studies. Real garlic um, can kill off 200, roughly 200 different kinds of bacteria. Um, The new, improved scentless garlic, two. Just two. Um, So you want real old-fashioned stinky garlic, you know. And I mean, garlic itself uh, is an amazing medicine. If you have plantar warts, you can smash garlic and Put it on the wart and then put tape over that. Do that every night, you know, for about a week, and it'll kill the, the wart. I mean, there's, you know, I have things like that all through the book.
4: Yeah, it's a great book. I'm, I'm reading from your book now. In ancient Rome, honey was used to pay taxes, and Cupid's arrows were said to be dipped in honey before being shot. <laughs> I got a, I got a smile out of that one. <laughs> So um yes. is there any particular uh remedies that that you could share with us something that's um uh, that's easy and simple uh, for us to know about during flu season or in cold season things that we can do to keep us in better shape with with Oh,
3: sure. Our- yeah. Um do do elderberries grow where you are?
4: I don't I don't think so.
3: Hmm. Well, you can certainly order them uh through the mail. You can get them dry. I mean, I'm lucky I can get them fresh. But um, elderberry is this amazing berry, and it was used um, in Europe. It's been used for thousands of years, probably longer. Uh, But it actually has the ability to block the flu virus. So the flu virus cannot attach to your body if you take elderberry. So what I do is I gather it myself. Um, I know where to get it here, uh, growing wild. And I take fresh elderberry, and I find the fresh uh, always works better than the dry, but if all you can get is dry, then use that. But uh, I take elderberry, and then I put a little bit of echinacea root, and and I, I know you have echinacea because that's a prairie plant.
4: We do have and that. And then
3: I add uh, a little bit of Siberian ginseng. That's not the, the other, it's not the Panax ginseng, it's, Luthorococcus, it's a Siberian ginseng and I, and I tincture that in vodka And I make a tincture And um, I give that to people um, where, where I used to work I would give it I would, When the flu came around When everybody was getting sick I would give it to people And then the people that took the elderberry Would be back at work within two days The people that didn't take the elderberry Would be sick for weeks You know, especially if they were smokers. Smokers have a very hard time. But um, it's just this amazing thing. And the trick is you have to take it every two hours. That's the trick because you want to have it in your body constantly, you know. So I, I tell people to take it with hot water or hot tea every two hours. And if you do that religiously every two hours, the flu will be gone within days.
4: So if you if you were just given, say, five or six herbs and what would be the top five or six herbs that you would want to have? Say you were on an island all by yourself and you had these herbs, what would you do with yeah. them?
3: Garlic, definitely, because garlic, uh, you know, also internally and externally kills off, you know, bacteria. Um, elderberry, rose hips, just plain old rose hips. Everybody should have rose hips in the house. Rose hips have more vitamin C than lemon. And if you have a sore throat, um, just take a really strong, hot rose hip tea. And I don't mean little rose hip tea bags. I mean the actual rose hips. You can buy the actual rose hips. Make a really strong rose hip tea. Put in a little honey. Take that, and nine times out of ten, it will knock out a sore throat. Echinacea is another one everybody should have. Echinacea. Sorry?
4: How about ginger?
3: Oh, yeah, ginger, of course. Yeah, ginger is another one. Ginger, a lot of people have joint pain, especially as they get older, they get a lot of joint pain. And uh, ginger, um, I mean, even if, you know, If you can make the fresh ginger root tea, that's really great. But if you can't do that every day, you can get it in capsules. So ginger and turmeric together are fantastic for joint pain. Oh, wow. You know, sore knees, sore back, whatever, you know, whether it's for overexertion from exercise or just some kind of um, arthritic condition, try And these days it's easy. You can go to drugstores and get this stuff. At least you can here in New England. Um, It's amazing. It's everywhere now. When I first started, that wasn't true, you know, but now it's everywhere. So two capsules of of turmeric twice a day, two capsules of ginseng twice a day. I mean, not ginseng, um, of uh, ginger. And that's for an adult. But, um, you know, if you have any kind of uh, arthritic joint pain, I, that's what I would do.
4: Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you work with trees spiritually? I know that the, that a lot of people that listen to our show are very into trees, and we've had lots of, of emails from people that w- want us to talk about trees and the language of trees. So if, So if you could just share with us what you have learned about working with trees.
3: Well, again, that's a big subject. I have a whole book. It's called The Druid's Herbal of Sacred Tree Medicine, as I mentioned. And if people want to learn in depth about trees, um, please look at that. But, um, I mean, what I did when I wrote that book, well, I started with the ancient Irish Oam alphabet. It's called the Oam alphabet. It's the alphabet that they had before the missionaries got there because the missionaries brought Latin. You know, they were Christian missionaries. And um, before that, the OAM, O-G-H-A-M alphabet, uh, it wasn't A-B-C-D-E-F-G, it's tree names. So the letters are Rowan, which is mountain ash, you know, willow, oak. Uh, you know, those are the names, birch, those are the letters. Um, so what I did was I I took that alphabet and I wrote the whole book around the tree alphabet. And so say it was birch. When I was writing the birch chapter, I read the, the ancient stories about birch, um, the poetry. I, I had the, the birch medicine. And then I would spend time with a birch tree. And I would just sit next to it. I would meditate with it. And I did that with each of the trees and you know it just everything just came together and the tree really would express itself and i that i do workshops about this i do a whole weekend workshop in fact i'm doing one in july in new hampshire and i'm getting ready to do one uh in massachusetts and last year i did it in california uh what i do is i take people out in nature and i teach them an ancient druid tree meditation uh Where basically you use all your senses and you um you commune with the tree, you become one with the tree, and people get messages they get pictures uh some people hear things, some people see things um you know, but you can communicate with them. I always say that people are the trees that walk around, and trees are the people that stand still oh so. that 's good <laughs> like that yeah. it 's good.
4: So, how can people um, contact you for these workshops?
3: Well, the best thing would be just to go to my website, which is www.elene, E-L-L-E-N, Everett, E-V, as in Victor, E-R-T, Hopman, H-O-P, as in Paul, M-A-N, dot com. Um, and I have a monthly blog, and each month I list uh, the workshops that are coming up. Um, And you can also see all my books there. Uh, You can order my books anywhere, you know, Amazon, com, whatever, you know, bookstores, independent bookstores. The books are everywhere. But if you order a book from me, you get a signed copy with a personal note.
4: Oh, that's great.
3: Now, do you also
4: sell tinctures and herbs? Do you sell products?
3: Um, well, I do have uh, tree elixirs. Um, they're not for internal use. They're more for s- spiritual use, I would say, ritual use, um, and that's on the website. You can see that. I sell salves, tree salves, but I sell those mostly locally. They're not really on the website, um, mainly because they're in glass jars and they don't travel that well. So. Half the time, if I mail them to people, one will arrive broken, you know. So, but if people are really interested in a tree sap, they can write to me.
1: Yeah. Okay.
4: Great. Well, we have really enjoyed having you uh, this evening, and, and I'm going to have to cut it short because we've got something really bad that's coming up on, on us here in Southwest Oklahoma. So, I'm going to have to to leave yeah, the sure. show at this time. But I'm going to turn you over to Ariel, my co-host and she probably has some people that will want to call and talk to you can you answer some questions from some of our listeners oh sure thank you and you stay safe okay thank you honey okay bye okay, bye okay bye
0: bye Bye-bye. well yeah um i'm glad she's got a tornado cellar because they they had a tornado um warning um just as she was calling into the show so wow. um yeah i am just i'm so fascinated uh, by this, and it's something that I really resonate with, and I just don't have a whole lot of of information or or, or background in in herbalism, but I totally agree with you um about the, the the superiority of natural remedies as opposed to um you know the poisons that they are trying to uh, <laughs> in 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 inject on us uh impose on us.
3: Um, yeah, well, you have, to, you have to really use your common sense. I mean, if you're injured, if you've been in a car accident, you know, if you have broken bones, if you have some kind of a dire emergency, you really need to go to the emergency room. I mean, don't play right. around, get help, you know. But if there's a, a, a long-term chronic thing or just a short-term uh, acute condition, herbs are better. And the reason is that we as animals, we're human animals, and we've evolved over millions of years, literally, since we were little monkeys, you know, um, <laughs> to, to eat plants. That's that's what our bodies know. And that's why when you ingest herbal medicine, if it's the right medicine, your body just goes, oh, yeah, I know what to do with that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so it can be very effective. Whereas uh, if you're taking synthetic medicines or, um, you know, what they'll do is they'll isolate one tiny part of the plant, which they call the active principle, and makes it very harsh. Because when you're eating a plant, a whole plant, or a bark or a root, you know, whatever it is, um, you're getting not only the active principle, but you're also getting a lot of other mysterious, you know, coexisting principles that are in the plant, many different kinds of chemicals. And, um, I mean, cannabis, people are just starting to find out about cannabis now, for example, and there's 400 different medicinal properties in just in that one plant that we know of now. And the research is just beginning. But we have evolved, um, we have cannabis receptors in our body, which means that our bodies have evolved to use that plant you know uh for millions of years our bodies know exactly what to do with it so that's that's why i mean i i actually feel sorry for people when they're when they're terribly dependent when i see people that are dependent on pharmaceuticals you know because those things are made largely for profit that's that's the bottom line they just want to make their money
0: mm-hmm. well you know, yeah and they're and, very
3: very hard they're harsh
0: yeah. uh, I have um I have long said that you know the, the pharmaceuticals interfere with nature, and you know in an emergency situation that's the appropriate thing you know to save your life, but like you said, for chronic for ongoing or some things that crop up from you know from time to time um, it's best not to interfere with nature and support nature uh yeah another big
3: thing that another big aspect that you really need to think about is the psychological aspect, which I also think needs to be addressed just as much. Um, that's why it's called holistic medicine, right? <laughs> but I mean right. a lot of people will will have pain, and then um it, basically the pain is because they're taking their emotional distress and they're putting it in a particular place in their body. Whether it's their right. shoulder, and, yeah. their stomach, whatever, you know.
0: So you yeah. always have to medically that's almost impossible to diagnose. So they they got to come yeah. up with something. So they stick a label on you and give you a pill and send you home. But yeah, I right. mean the holistic approach it has to um, you have to address time. the the whole unit. Yeah.
3: Right, and it it takes time. Doctors unfortunately can only spend about fifteen minutes with you if they're lucky. You know, and to really figure out what's going on with somebody, you need an hour or more. You know.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, to, to check everything out. Yeah. Um I, I had um, a question, and let me just uh, tell the audience for a moment here. If you're already on the switchboard and you would like to ask a question of Ellen, you need to press one so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on your computer. Um, Just dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1 so that we can bring you on to ask your question. And um, while we're waiting to see if anyone calls in, um, a while ago... Um, Anastasia had a piece in the news that really stuck with me and I thought, man, I'd like to know more stuff like that. And one of the one of the like the only two things I can remember, um, is that food that looks like a body part is good for that body part. Um like Oh walnuts. yeah, that's the
3: doctrine of signatures. Yes. I, I, yeah. I talk talked about that in the book. <laughs>
0: There's oh
3: really? Chapter on Yeah. Well, I mean for example, if you take a carrot and you slice it, um it looks like the iris of the eye, you know, carrots are very good for the eye. Kidney beans really do help the kidneys. Uh avocados look like a uh, a uterus, they do benefit the uterus. But uh, that yeah, the, that's those are the foods and then with herbs, there's a a very old it's a medieval uh, plant classification system. And I actually uh, teach workshops about this. But back in the days before people could read, because reading was very high tech, only very special people knew how to read, and nobody had books, and there were no libraries, and you couldn't Google anything, and there were no computers, and, you know, no bookstores. Um, If a king had five books, that was a library, right? So uh, how do you pass down the information about herbs? when there's nothing, right? There's no way to record anything because nobody can read. So they had two ways of passing down the information. One was through stories, which are very effective. So if you if you read a fairy tale that features a particular plant, um, what they're doing is they're passing on the information that this is a very important plant, and you really got to pay attention to it, you know. Um, but the other way of... of uh, passing on the stuff was through the doctrine of signatures which is the shape of the leaf the color of the flower what did it taste like you know was it bitter was it sweet um was it growing in the shade was it growing in the sun did it have thick uh fleshy roots or did it have thin thread-like roots uh you know all those things you could put it together and figure out exactly what body systems it was for Wow. And I have a big chapter about that in the book. How to do that?
0: Wow, <laughs> you know there has to when you when when I hear stuff like that and how it's just it it has to be divine. That's it not is. an accident. You know, there, there cannot be an accident that you know the plant that's good for you. Um, I mean, a good for your brain looks like a brain, and the one that's good for your kidney looks like a kidney. I mean, <laughs> how? Um, how, how well, don't forget
3: we're all well related. You know, we're all we're all descended from blue-green algae. The plants are related to us. The trees are related well, to us. We're, we're all related. You know, so we're not that different. You know, things that you can
0: put,
3: you can take tree sap, like from a pine tree, and put it on a human wound, and it will disinfect the wound. You can also take tree sap and put it on a tree that's been wounded. And that will heal the wound and keep it from getting infected. You know, chlorophyll looks exactly, on the molecular level, chlorophyll and hemoglobin are identical. So you can give somebody a transfusion. um, You can put green chlorophyll in green juice in somebody's body, either through an enema or have them swallow it, or I imagine you could put it in their veins. I don't know about that. But I've certainly seen uh, green enemas and so on. if somebody uh, has lost a lot of blood, and the body will interpret it as blood, it takes it right in without having to digest it, because the molecule on the outside of hemoglobin is is identical to chlorophyll. Wow. And it's just one little tiny atom in the center that's different. But uh, the outside is the same, you can take seaweed and you can put that on a burn on a human burn or a human wound, and the body will think it's skin it will interpret it as skin, so if somebody has a really bad third degree burn and you're near the ocean and there's nothing else, just slap some seaweed on there, and the body will think it's skin you know i mean we're we're all related
0: oh well we've been we've been uh standing on that platform since the day one here at the radio show and the interconnectedness of all living things um and i you know thinking at listening to you talk i'm thinking about um a meeting i had with my naturopath at one point and um i think a friend of mine had poison ivy and she said well the cure for poison ivy is always growing right by the poison ivy and i can't remember anything else about that does that sound familiar to have my misquoting yeah her? that's
3: weed it's called jewelweed
0: jewelweed um
3: you can you can take jewelweed and you can rub it on your legs and then um that will prevent you from getting the poison ivy to begin with you can take a bath after you have poison ivy if when you're itching you can make a bath of the jewelweed and you can take that um to to help stop the itch but i mean i'll tell you a story you know this is this really is true this this really happened, and this will make you think. you know how there's a Lyme disease epidemic happening right now,
1: uh-huh,
3: and the- yeah, the epicenter of Lyme disease is Lyme, Connecticut, that's why it's called Lyme disease. Now, Lyme disease has been around for thousands of years, but um there's suddenly we had this intense epidemic, and there's all kinds of theories about why, which I'm not going to go into, but anyway, so Lyme disease shows up. And it's it starts in Lyme, Connecticut, at the same time that the Lyme disease shows up. This weird invasive plant called Japanese knotweed shows up in the same area. So as the Lyme expands, you know, you think of it as a like a like a an archery uh, like rings. You know, the rings get wider and wider, and the Lyme is marching on. The Japanese knotweed follows. And now everybody in New England is furious because this Japanese knotweed is everywhere along with the lime. Well, guess what's the best cure for lime that we have?
0: The Japanese the knotweed? The
3: Jap- Japanese knotweed.
0: <laughs> wow. I, you know, I've, so, I've yeah, got friends I that have that, suffered with that. So would you go yeah. into like a little bit more detail because um, I mean, I've got friends that, that are dealing with that, and I would love to be able to, you know, forward them to your books and all that. But um, is it Japanese, is knotweed spelled with a K?
3: Yes, Japanese knotweed. You can Google it. It's on Wikipedia. You know, um, basically, I mean, they need to work with a naturopath, but what you do is you start with teasel. There's an herb called teasel, which I'm pretty sure grows in the prairies where you are. But anyway, the teasel... You you take that into your body, and that forces the the spirochetes out because you know they they hide like they hide in your inner ear, they hide in your brain. I mean, they find all kinds of weird, exotic places to hide. So even if you take antibiotics, it doesn't always work because the antibiotics can't even reach these things. So you take the teasel first, and that teases out the uh, spirochetes. They emerge. And then you take the Japanese knotweed on top of that. Stephen Buhner has a book about this. About and he's he's the great expert. B u h n e r Buhner. Buhner. Um, but I I urge people to look up his book on Lyme disease. I forget exactly what it's called right now. But um, anyway, so then you take the knotweed and the knotweed kills off the spirochetes. But I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do this. If honestly, if I had Lyme, the way I would do it is I would start with the antibiotics. I would take that first, and then I would take the teasel to to tease out anything that was left, and then I would take the uh, Japanese knotweed to kill off whatever was left. But again, everybody's different, and you have to work with a naturopath or a doctor. I'm not giving out medical advice here. Right. <laughs> right. I'm just saying right. what right. I <laughs> would do based, based on my understanding. That's what I would do to myself. I'm not telling anybody else right.
0: to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We have to. Uh, we have to be <laughs> careful about stuff like that. But. Um,
3: but you really. I'm, I'm really need glad.
0: i uh, Thank yeah, you for you that. You do need
3: to work with a doctor or a naturopath, though. So. Don't try don't try yeah, to treat. Yeah,
0: anything. yeah. Well people think that um that herbs can um uh, are not that powerful but they really are. Extremely and do you do you do like um homeopathic blends of, of you know, the, the herbal essences?
3: Yes, I studied homeopathy and I also studied flower essence counseling and homeopathy is just the higher octave of herbalism. If you look at the I mean just look at the herbal indications for echinacea and then look at the homeopathic indications for echinacea. They're identical. Right. So homeopathy is just a, an extremely dilute and shaken and pounded, that's called succussion, version of herbs. But the interesting thing about homeopathy is then they also get into minerals, they get into poisons, you know, like arsenic, mercury, lead, sulfur, you know, all these things um but the herbal indications are exactly the same
0: oh, well, you know, I I've, I've been blessed to have um an extremely uh talented uh naturopath and I've learned a lot from her and one of the one of the um handy helpful tips that she gave me is like if you you know if you've got a cold or a cough or something like that you just you put take a piece of ginger in a in a um like a jar glass jar and, like, every hour you just go shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, and, and you're actually making a homeopathic thing, and you just sip on on the ginger water. And, boy, it works. I mean, it worked better than codeine for stopping a a a cough.
3: Well, that's very I was, interesting. I never heard of doing that, but it makes a lot of sense because the way that Hahnemann, Hahnemann was the, um, he was a, a German pharmacist back in the day when pharmacists and doctors were basically the same thing living in America, and uh, he used to visit people. He did house calls, and he used to put his herbal tinctures in the saddlebags of the horse, and, you know, he'd go cloppity, 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 cloppity to go to the person's house, and he also had herbal tinctures sitting on jars on shelves in his uh, store, that people would buy. Well, what he figured out, what he noticed was the tinctures that were in the saddlebags that were getting shaken up and down up and down up and down worked faster and better than the ones that were just sitting on the shelf. And that's where he oh. got the idea for succussion, for shaking and pounding um the tinctures.
0: And wow, then the that's the fascinating.
3: Reason, yeah, the reason he did the dilution was that back in those days everybody was being treated with mercury, which is a lot like chemotherapy today. Um, you know, if it didn't kill you, you, you were cured, and mercury <laughs> is poison. So your hair would fall out, your teeth would fall out, you would sweat uncontrollably, you would pee, you would poop, you know. <laughs> and if you survived yeah. all that, um, you were cured, you know. So, so he looked at that and he said, wait a minute, he said, if this much mercury – it cures somebody. I wonder what would happen if I gave them half as much. And then he said, I wonder what would happen if I did gave them a quarter as much or I wonder what would happen if I gave them an eighth as much, you know. He had a very methodical German mind, you know, and
5: um mm-hmm.
3: he kept track of all this and then so he put those two things together, the idea of making something incredibly dilute uh mixed with the idea of pounding and shaking. And that's how we got homeopathy, the way we know it today.
0: Wow! I mean, I've, I've been, I've used homeopathy for you know, 25 years or more, um, with great success, I might say. And we actually have a caller that wants to uh, talk to you. So, um, okay. if you're uh, ready for that, I can bring yep. Lynn on the air. Okay. Just let me get the mic open. Hey, Lynn! Welcome to the show. You are on the air with Ellen. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm here.
5: Can you hear me? Yes, yep. I can hear you. Okay. Do you have a question? Well, first, well, I, I just have more of a comment. I just want to thank you. I am absolutely fascinated by your work, and I actually raise these. Oh, good for you. Yes, so I have wonderful honey. And is there anything that you would suggest just as a daily use
3: for for what for you?
5: Yeah, just just as a yeah. I I really I I have all this honey. I have a I have a little puppy that has some. Um, allergy. And so I've been giving it to him just a, a little tiny bit every day and it seems to have really helped. And well I was wondering yeah. if there was a solution that you use or if there, do you dilute it with anything, is there any um anything you would suggest?
3: Well, you know, the the whole principle is raw local honey from your area. If somebody has allergies well, um, that's one of the best things you can do is just to eat raw local honey from your area. Um, because in the honey there will be these little tiny bits of pollen, you know, from from your area, which is what your body is reacting to, and your body will slowly uh, develop the ability to uh, resist the allergy. So, and you know, if you want to clean out your digestion, improve your digestion and intestinal flora, you can take your raw local
0: honey, mix it with some apple cider. Uh, uh, Ideally, not after Lynn, are are you on a cell phone? Uh, Lynn. No. Oh, are you? Yeah. Boy, there is some there's some awful noise in the background there, so I I didn't know if um if you were able to even hear what Ellen was saying about the the local honey.
5: Yes, I yes I absolutely have been tracking and and to mix it with cider vinegar.
3: Right. If you can get raw apple cider vinegar, not pasteurized, uh, mix it with with water and honey, and um, it'll really um, improve your uh, intestinal flora, you know, and your digestion. Wonderful. But, yeah, as far as allergies, um, honey is one of the best things.
1: Well, and another so really good it.
3: thing, um, it, another good thing for allergies is nettles. Um, nettles are antihistaminic, um, so you can get nettles, nettles. uh I don't know if you have them. I have them in my garden here. They grow wild, but um, nettles as tea, as capsules, any way you can get nettles um, stops the allergic response.
1: Oh. They,
5: they are they are available, and I apologize if there's um, you know if there's interference. I'm also in Oklahoma and we are having some weather. So
0: oh, I've heard. I apologize. Oh, okay. yeah. So that, yeah, that explains it. It it almost I mean, it sounded like it sounded like someone was uh, I don't know making popcorn or something. Well, um, so, um, Lynn, thanks so much for calling in. And uh, back well, down thank the hatches you. And there. I, and you bet, and thank you. And
5: and this has been most interesting. Thank you.
3: Thank you for calling.
0: Okay, bye bye. Boy. Yeah, boy. I thought she was in a windstorm on a cell phone there, but yeah, it's just the uh, the lines. It's a wonder that um, that she can that she even got through because she she doesn't live too far from uh, Lavendar. So we have um, Elaine coming up next with a question. So let me get the mic open. Hello, Elaine. How are you doing? Hi, Ariel. I'm fine. Good. Well, you're on the air with Ellen, so you can go ahead and ask your question. Yes,
6: I had three questions for Ellen, and she already answered one about the Lyme disease. Um, My other one was about honey and what is the earliest I've heard that you can't give it to infants because their immune system can't handle it. I don't know if that's true or not.
3: That is true. That's absolutely true because there are bacteria in honey. Remember honey comes is basically bee vomit.
1: <laughs> you
3: know, it's like there's a lot of bacteria in honey. Uh do not give honey to a child that's less than a year old.
6: Okay. And then um, my other question was about parasites. I had heard there was a raw milk um and herbal um Regimen you can do every two hours for like seven, eight days. You take um, unpasteurized raw milk and you add um, like wormwood, papaya, fruit, pumpkin seed, black walnut hull, clove bud, combination of that and into the milk. And you drink only milk every two hours, the raw milk with that in it. And it draws out the parasites and the things that are in the organs and um, tissues so that it will be, they will be killed because they like the milk and then they are are killed by the the herbs and the tincture that you put in the milk. So um, I didn't know if you'd heard of that or had any comments. I,
3: I have not heard of that one. Um, uh, one that I like is just pumpkin seeds, uh, raw pumpkin seed, which you soak overnight and then put it in the blender and make a milk like pumpkin milk, and take that while you're fasting. And it just goes through you and it cleans out worms and things like that. But be very careful. I mean, I don't don't know you. I have no idea what's going on. But sometimes people think they have parasites, and it may not be parasites. It may be other things going on. Um, We had one really sad case, somebody who lived in my area, who uh went to South America, this was years ago, and she decided she had parasites. So she kept treating herself for parasites and uh, lo and behold she actually had uh, stage four colon cancer. And oh, not saying you know, she had decided she had parasites without going to a doctor and by the time she went to the doctor it was too late.
0: So, you know Well
6: these these were confirmed by laboratory and the actual Regimen worked. Only
3: oh, okay. taking at least
6: six six glasses of eight ounces each, and, and not any other food, but just that a day for like seven days.
0: So it took about five well,
6: days great. for them to show up, but they they were dead.
0: Good. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's just yeah. amazing. And yeah, there's there's so many um, so many things that and so much to learn about it. But thanks for bringing that up. And it's good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, thanks uh, Okay,
3: I'd be very interested. I
0: look to, to ordering learn about your book. Okay, Bye, yeah, uh, yeah. you are both talking at the same time, so Elaine, you can order Ellen's book. And Ellen, what did you just say?
3: Well, I be I would love to hear more of. If I mean, if there, if you could contact me through my website, EllenEverettHotman dot com, I would love to read about that regime that you mentioned with the milk.
6: Okay, it was um originally from a Native American woman in New Mexico that um had several women and do this milk fast with the herbs in it. And that's how I found out about it and then I looked online and found other people that had done it.
3: Interesting. So okay,
6: I well. I will contact
1: you.
3: Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Great. But but uh, this this brings up another point which is one of the first things that I teach my students when, when they start with me is we are not doctors and we really um, need to go to a doctor to find out what we have. Uh, you know, you cannot diagnose yourself. I mean, unless it's something that you've had many, many times and so you know it backwards and forwards. But if something happens and it's a new thing and you've never had it before, really you need to get a diagnosis. Because otherwise, how do you know what herbs to take, you know? And doctors uh, can do the blood tests and, um, you know, they can tell you exactly what's going on, usually, not
1: always. <laughs> but, uh,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: but, yeah, it's that's important. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And, you I mean, modern um, allopathic medicine diagnosis is, I mean, really <laughs> what they've got down pretty good um, as long as it's, something that they've seen before, but, yeah, always, you know, find out what they say it is, and then you can approach it um, in in a way that you'd like, but always with the help of some kind of health professional.
3: Right. So that's, well, that's I know good advice to... there.
6: Ariel? Mm-hmm. What? I, I just wanted to make a comment that if you go to normal um, allopathic medical doctors for labs, They'll, they can do a stool test, but it will come back negative. So unless you go to one that you can that is specifically, you know, looks for that, a lot of times they'll say, "Oh no, you don't have parasites," when you actually do. And a lot of times it's because they aren't actively shedding or, you know, in the specimen. So
0: right, there's a life cycle. Right. We'll All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for calling, Elaine. Bye bye. Bye. So, um, yeah, you know, my naturopath does electrodermal testing for diagnosis, and boy, oh boy, it's it, it's really um, fascinating and beyond accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are we're going to talk to um, I, I think it's either Joanne or Joan. So let me find out first. Hang on. Hello, is it Joan or Joanne? Hi, it's Joanne. Hello, Joanne. Well, you are on the air with Ellen, so I'll go ahead and um, ask your question. Thank you. Um, my question is: um, Are there any herbs that are specifically protective against uh, electromagnetic frequency sensitivities?
3: Goodness, herbs? I don't. Th- I don't know. Um, there are homeopathic remedies, uh, for example, phosphorus is one that comes to mind. Have you ever looked into that?
5: Uh I haven't heard of that one. No.
2: That's interesting.
3: Well, uh do you do you like hot things or cold things usually?
2: Uh as far as
3: food or Yeah. Um
5: hot, yeah. Warm or hot, yeah.
3: What about how do you feel that ice?
5: Um, Not too good
3: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, anyway, the reason I thought of phosphorus is uh, because um, there's a If you look in the old homeopathy books, there's a a symptom called clairvoyant state And that's where the person is psychic and they're clairvoyant Mm -hmm. And it's wearing them out because they're overly sensitive That's Mm -hmm. why I thought of that but um, you might want to look into homeopathy because homeopathy is is better for the, um, say, nervous system, emotional, psychological end of things. Herbalism is more uh, body-oriented, I would say, mm-hmm. more physical, you know. So uh, you might want to look into phosphorus or another homeopathic remedy. Okay.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, great. Joanne, thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay.
3: I hope that was a satisfying answer. <laughs> but,
0: um,
3: that's well, what came
0: yeah, well, you know what? The, the first thing that I thought is that um, because, um, well, artificial electromagnetic frequencies from cell phones and computers and all that, um, that's a relatively new thing and nature may not have developed something um, to counteract that like it would for, you know, a cold or a, or, or something else. Um, we have another caller. Um, Lori is going to be on the line in just a second. Hello, Lori. You are on the air with Ellen. Hi.
1: Hi. Ellen, how Hello. are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you for being available to take my call.
0: And what is your question?
1: My question is I have a female issue that's going on, um, we'll say um, polyps. And so I had the conventional um, procedure done that is supposed to help me to resolve that issue, but it doesn't seem like it's been successful. So I was kind of wondering, based on your experience, is there any other things that, You might suggest that I can do um, verbally that may help me to resolve this issue?
3: Well, are you saying that that you're still having bleeding? Yes. You may have another polyp. There may be another one there.
1: Okay. Well, they, they did the DNC, which they were supposed to be able to see everything and remove everything. Um I haven't gotten any information back that there's any anything else and it's you know just a lot of pain and you know the nagging part of it but okay well that sounds like
3: something you really need to go back to your doctor if you're having pain like that because it could be uh there there could be an infection could be PID okay. I don't know you know I mean I certainly can't Tell you over the phone But if you're having pain That you really need to go back All right. And, okay. and if, if the first doctor Didn't resolve it You need to find another doctor Get a second opinion Okay. So that's, that's what I would do,
1: do you, okay. Are you going
3: to a naturopath Or are you going to a regular allopath Or what are you doing
1: No I'm just going to a regular GYN doctor
3: Yeah I would get a second opinion Because it sounds like there's something else going on. That's just my hit.
1: You know. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking my call. Okay, will you be well. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. And thank
0: you for calling, Lori. Bye-bye.
1: Absolutely. Bye-bye.
0: Yeah, you know, getting a second opinion and and also, I mean, working with both you know, um, Western and and natural. Um, I've, I mean, I've done that at a few times when I had to actually go to a medical doctor, and my naturopath gave me the support to mm-hmm. you know to to get through sure. what he was needing to do. So um, I, I think you know, it's not a bad idea to have the best of both worlds. Um, That's
3: called complementary medicine, and yeah. it's you know if you have an open-minded homeopath or open-minded naturopath and an opio- open-minded allopath <laughs> you have the best of all worlds um it's really a good it's a good way to go but if if anybody's having pain like that that's not something you can you should play around with you know you really need to again you need to get a diagnosis you need to find out exactly what it is
0: well right you know because when you when you were um imagining um, that can take you really down the rabbit hole pretty quickly, uh, because your your you're worst um, you know worst fears can be uh, lur- lurking there. But um, yeah, just go find out, especially. And I think that's great advice, Ellen. You know, if it hurts for you know more than a more than a day, then you know. Yeah,
3: well, the pain is your body is trying to give you a message. It's telling you something. You know. The body is expressing itself. It's saying, I'm hurt, you know. There's something going on here. (laughs) So you don't ignore it.
0: Right, right. Well, uh, I believe that we have answered everybody's questions. And um, this has just been a fascinating show. And I really, really encourage our listeners because our listeners are completely um, uh, open and probably a lot of them are natural healers, um, to the information that you're bringing. So your website is com and um, I believe you've got a bunch of other uh, contact information as well, if I remember correctly, um, with Facebook and Twitter and all those kind of places.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have author pages all over the place. (laughs) If you Google my name, a lot of these things come up. Just Google my name, Ellen Everett Hopman, and uh, these things will come up.
0: Okay. Well, great. Um, And your book, The Secret Medicines from Your Garden, and also Secret Medicines from Your Kitchen, I think that's probably um, a good good duo to start with. And... um, and now as I'm just just about ready to wrap it up with a nice little bow, here we've got another caller. So as soon as she gets out of the screening room, um, we'll have one more question for you. Okay. Yeah, um, this has just been so fascinating. Um, and, I, and I think about, um, you know, would you talk a little bit about, um, the? well, obviously it's preferential to have organic herbs, but... Would you think that, um, you know, other herbs that are more conventionally grown, are they going to be diminished in their effectiveness if they're not organic?
3: Well, the ideal is to get um, commercially grown organic. Make sure it's organic, though. Um, And also the other ideal is to use things that grow in your area because your body is incorporating the sunlight, the water, the soil, you know, the food you've been eating that comes from your area is in your body. The energetics of the area, the ley lines, the energies, you know, you're going to be best. You're going to be better off working with things that are local to your area. That's going to work most effectively in your body. So, um, in the book, uh, Secret Medicines from Your Garden. I list um, many plants that come from the southwest, you know, plants that come from the Midwest. It's not just I have plants that come from the east. But uh, try to identify which ones, like there's 20 different kinds of oak, for example. Look and see which one grows in your area. You know, there's many different kinds of St. John's wort, which one, different kinds of sunflowers, you know. Try to find things that grow in your area. And, get, and learn about those, learn how to use them, and use them. And that will be the most effective thing.
0: Great. Well, that makes total sense. So our caller is um, ready to go, and we are going to talk to Natasha. As soon as I get your mic open, hello, Natasha, welcome to the show. You are on the air with Ellen. Hello. Uh, hello.
5: I, uh, I was wondering if, any herbs that can heal menstrual pain because I heard of them used to having them before the Catholic Church. Um.
3: Yes, uh, there and there's different kinds of menstrual pain, but the, yes, there are mugwort, artemisia is, is one, uh, there's motherwort, uh, blue cohosh, You know, um, again, it all depends on what's going on. Is there a psychological component or not? But you also need to look at your diet. Um, Too much salt, too much red meat is going to make cramps worse. Too much sugar, you know.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of cramping. I'm a vegetarian, so I've
3: always had cramps. Well, um, like I said, the mugwort is wonderful, especially for people that get PMS, uh, artemisia, and um, I mean, they're depending on exactly what's going on. Uh, do you eat a lot of salt, like uh, tamari or sea salt, things like that?
5: Uh, just probably a regular amount. You usually well, like a. Need for these. Sorry. Uh, how you use them, like with cheese?
3: No, I would avoid salt altogether. Like b- before your period, don't eat any salt. Don't add salt. Don't add, you know, miso, soy sauce, tamari. Don't add any of that stuff and see what happens. Okay. Because, I mean, what salt does is salt goes right to your female reproductive tract. In Chinese medicine, you know back in the day, China had a completely different situation than we do. People were starving we Our problem is people getting too many calories for thousands of years. Their situation was people didn't get enough calories you know but and people didn't get salt um, unless you lived by the ocean. It was very hard to get salt. Salt was very expensive but if they want if they had a medicine, if they wanted to deliver a medicine so that it would get to the kidneys, the uterus, the bladder, you know, the um, what's called the water element in Chinese medicine. They would put salt in the herbal mixture because the salt will deliver the remedy right to the reproductive tract. Um, so what, I, what I've noticed is women that have a lot of terrible cramping um, often they're they're gorging on salt. So they're eating potato chips. I don't know if you do this, but they eat Fritos, potato chips, Doritos, you know, all these things. They go, oh, but I crave it. It makes me feel better. I said, what do you mean it makes you feel better? Now you have these terrible cramps, you know, because the salt <laughs> goes right right to your female reproductive tract, you know. So that's why I'm suggesting try cutting out all salt before your period.
5: Okay, I'll try that. I heard vitamin Great. E is supposed to do some help too. Sorry. Do you think vitamin E would help
1: too?
3: Um, it might. I mean, I'm not. I, that's not something I'm terribly expert at. Um, but but try just cutting out the salt. You know, and see what happens. That that's what I would suggest. Start simply. You know, if that doesn't work exotic you
0: know okay well thanks yeah okay Okay. thanks for calling Natasha thank you bye bye yeah I um trying to get that (laughs) there it goes okay sometimes this uh, switchboard software is a little slow but um I've now forgot what I was going to (laughs) say oh oh I was going to say um when yeah, when you try when you're trying things out, like you said, just try simply one thing. Because if you well, just throw a bunch often, of stuff at,
3: yeah, food is often the first thing. Look at what you're eating. You know, simple stuff. Are you sleeping enough? Are you getting exercise? What are you eating? <laughs> you know, those right. are that's like the most obvious thing, and then you kind of go from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when but I mean, as far as like trying a remedy. Um, you know, I would you try one thing at a time so you know what's working and what's not working. Exactly. You know. Right,
3: exactly. Yeah, there's no point I, trying five different things at once because then you have no idea what worked and you have no idea what to follow it up with. I mean, you might get relief, and, but then if it happens again, you don't know what you're doing, you know, so.
0: Right, right. And I, I thought I heard you say blue cohosh. I've only ever heard yeah, of black they,
3: there's black cohosh, there's blue cohosh. They're two different plants. Oh. Black cohosh yeah, but. is very good for uh, menopausal uh, women uh, who are kind of depressed, who have lower back pain, uh, who are kind of in a bad mood. I've also seen it with people who smoked a lot of pot, who had dark circles around their eyes. There's just, it's called black cohosh, but what's really interesting is kind of on a psychic level, The people that need it, it's like they're walking around with a little black cloud over their head. (laughs) It's hard to explain. I mean, I literally, I I can't say that I see a black cloud, but I can feel that they have a black cloud over their head, and it's called black cohosh.
1: Exhausted,
3: depossal, achy females (laughs) and and pot smokers (laughs) who had depleted their adrenal glands, who had dark circles under their eyes. You know, that's black cohosh. And uh, blue cohosh is very interesting. It relaxes the uterus, and it's also used um, to prepare the uterus for childbirth. So it's taken in the last five weeks of pregnancy, never before that. Um,
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, gosh, this is like an encyclopedia show. (laughs) I'm learning so much. I really, really appreciate your sharing your time and energy with our audience and with us. And uh, I think we have taken all of the callers now. So um, once again, I just want to repeat um, your books are everywhere. Anyone can Google your name Ellen, E L L E N, Evert, E V like Victor, E R T like Thomas, and then Hopman, H O P like Paul, M A N dot com. And your books are everywhere. You've got, would you say 13 or 14 books?
3: I think it's up to 13 now. I live yeah, wow. <laughs> well, good for you. But there's another, I just you. want to mention quickly, there's another book that came out about two weeks ago. Uh, it's called The Legacy of Druids. So if anybody's interested in Druids or Druidism, um, I went to England and uh, Canada, and I communicated with Druids all over England, the, all over the United States, Canada, Scotland, And I interviewed them, and um, there's many different kinds of Druids, many flavors of Druids. And if you're interested in Druidism, it's probably the most comprehensive book that's out there. And it's called The Legacy of Druids. Yeah. Conversations with Druid Leaders from Britain the USA and Canada. And that literally came out about two weeks ago.
0: Wow. It's out. Well, great, great. And that's also yeah. available on your website? Well, on we encourage everyone.
3: Is, yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, but if they buy it from you, they get an autograph. That's right. That's very special, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is wonderful, Ellen, and I thank you so much for sharing your time and your vast knowledge with us. And we do hope that... Um, you know, it seems like you're going to have more books coming out. Do let us know, and, and we'd love to have you come back on the show and talk about the new things in your life when they happen.
3: All right. Well, thank you very much, and um, I'm glad that you're safe and the storms aren't too bad where you are, right?
0: Well, No, I'm in Georgia. So, um, oh, you're in Georgia. It's a, yeah, it's a beautiful spring evening here. Uh, oh, good. We're spread, out, we're spread out all over the place. Anastasia's in Kentucky, and... Um is in Oklahoma So wow. that's the, the beauty of the internet And uh, internet radio So uh, we I'm in <laughs> I lucked out tonight I got blue skies and, and well not anymore It's dark but yeah. Had good weather today So yeah um, I'm going to have to call and check on Lavendar And make sure she's uh, Not having to be down in the storm cellar <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Ellen, for joining well, thank us.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You are quite welcome, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Thank okay. you. Okay,
1: you're so welcome.
0: Okay. So, with bye-bye. that, everyone, bye bye. Um, we want to thank you for listening, and we encourage you to take a look at Ellen's work. There's all kinds of wonderful information there, and we will be back next week. So until then, take care of yourselves, and we will talk to you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.